Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to the Pioneers in AA meeting. My name is Susan, and I'm an alcoholic. Can we have a moment of silence in gratitude for the AA recoveries of the past 75 years? We have a wonderful group of pioneers. I looked up pioneers on the Internet, and in the 1800s, now none of these were born in the 1800s. They, um, the pioneers were the first people to settle in the frontiers of North America. Many were farmers, others were doctors, shopkeepers, and guess what? Some were alcoholics. Those pioneers in AA are here today to share their experience, strength, and hope. We have three speakers. I know them all very well. They're my role models for continuous sobriety and service in Alcoholics Anonymous. And I would like to share with you that I've been in AA since January 28, 1969. I'm a member of the 79th Street Workshop in Manhattan. And I've been active in AA for this that long and have also retired from working at the General Service Office for 28 years and um, also have um, been doing some uh, work for the archivist. She's my boss now. <laughs> um, and at, over the years, I've met these three when they were served as delegates and as speakers. And you're in for a great treat of some terrific pioneers. The first speaker, Tommy, is sober 49 years. She was a Panel 15 delegate from Connecticut, a member of the Mountain, Mountain Group in Fort Lauderdale. Many times she has brought groups of people to visit GSO and was at the conference when they changed the ratio of non-alcoholics on the General Service Board from 14 being AAs and 14 to being alcoholics and 7 to being non-alcoholics. I give you Tommy. My prayer always is, dear Lord, please help me say whatever I'm going to say from my heart. Please help me make some contribution to this day. Okay. I'd like to take a few minutes to think about Bill for a minute. Because when Bill went to that telephone booth, in Akron at the Mayflower Hotel because he knew he had to reach for a fellow alcoholic or he would pick up a drink. He walked into that telephone booth with fear and he made that call. And the first call didn't work. 
and the second call, and the third call, and the fourth call, and the fifth call, and the sixth call. I wonder how many of us would have persevered that long in to reach for recovery and still go and not go the other way. And it was that seventh call that he made a connection, and he didn't even see Dr. Bob that first day. He had to wait another day. If it weren't for Bill having those experiences and being given the gift of knowing he had to reach for sobriety in order to keep it, you and I would not be here today. And that's a pretty overwhelming thought to me. So I am so deeply grateful for Bill and all the Bills from that time to now. That I stand here this morning with incredible humility. Liz and I were just saying we're both emotional. I brought a whole package of Kleenex with me. How do you go from there to here and try to figure it out and share with you from the heart for 20 minutes? I am an alcoholic. As Sue said, I'm a member of the Mount Group down in Fort Lauderdale, but I have to give credit to Cheshire, Connecticut, Tuesday night group for my first 13 years in this fellowship. And my name is Tommy. Thank you. I had my first drink when I was a senior in high school. And I didn't take that drink with becoming an alcoholic. But when I got here, you told me that I had a threefold illness. That it was a physical allergy to alcohol, coupled with emotional immaturity and spiritual bankruptcy. And indeed, I qualify for that. Because the night before I came to you, I committed suicide. I had started with that first drink and ended up with a half-gallon bottle of gin. And what went on in between, as far as behavior is concerned, is the same thing that happened to you folks. But I truly believe that this is a disease of the feelings. And I think if we talk about... um, the feelings that we have, rather than the behavior we can all identify. We are from all over the world. And yet, when I talk to you about love, when I talk to you about fear, low self-esteem, resentment, and what I call it Siamese twin self-pity because I can't have one without the other, When I talk about inadequacies and loneliness and fears, I know you all know what I'm talking about. And when I came to you and you started sharing you with me, that's when I began to identify. But you told me that if I drank long enough, it would be like drinking water. And that's exactly what happened to me November 4th, 1960. And I took an overdose of sleeping capsules because I chose to take my life. 
but the God of my understanding, whom you shared with me, saw fit that I shouldn't die. And so when I came to you, I was just a shell. I came from a family that, um, oh, I always say it was a dysfunctional family, but I'm it. Um, I was the youngest of three daughters. My dad had the same job for 46 years. My mother was a homebody, a church lady, played the organ. They didn't drink. They didn't smoke. I didn't think they ever did anything that felt good. I don't know how I got here, but here I am. I don't know about you, but I came from a family that talked about time and weather and other people, but uh, especially if they weren't there. And so when I had feelings I didn't know what to do with, and it's all in total retrospect, that I recognize I drank because I couldn't talk about my feelings. I remember saying to my husband one night, I am so lonely. And a very logical answer came back. He said, I don't know why you're so lonely. You have a lovely home. You have five children. You can do just about anything you want to do. I don't know why you're so lonely. And that was logic. So I wasn't going to talk to him anymore about my feelings. But in retrospect, I see that every time I had a feeling I didn't know what to do with, I drank. I grew up with a value system, I don't know where I got it, that nice girls didn't get angry, nice girls didn't act out sexually, and big girls didn't cry. And every time I drank, I acted out in any one or all three of those areas very inappropriately. And I am totally ashamed of my past. I know my children had a devastated life. And bless their hearts, they are such incredible human beings now, adults. I can't believe all my children are senior citizens. <laughs> they were 6, 8, 10, 12, and 14 when I got sober. They're 56, 58. My daughter Barbara died four years ago. She would be 60, 62, and 64. And what went on in between is the exact same things that happened to you folks. None of which we wanted to happen, and it did. And when you told me that I had a physical allergy to alcohol, I began to get it. I've had hundreds of drunks in my life, but one in particular sticks out. It was in the paranoia-like stage of my drinking, just before I came to you. And my husband bought a hearse. And you know what I thought he was going to do with it? I don't know what I thought he was going to do with the body, but. And he said, he gave me a logical answer. He said, well, a hearse is two feet longer than a station wagon. We had a station wagon. Leave room for our children to grow. And he said, besides, if we are camping and we can't find a place to park the the hearse we could park along the side of the road he said you know nobody's going to bother you I was sharing this story one night and it occurred to me what if somebody looked in and we all started moving 
Well, he drove us first to work the next morning. It was to be our family car, our only car. And his uncle, with whom he was in business, thought it was just a little inappropriate for a doctor to be making house calls in a hearse. I did all the things that mothers do in small towns. And when my disease got so bad and negative, I started the route of the psychiatrist, the medical profession, and the clergyman. And when I look at it today, I see why none of those areas were able to help because they only would help one phase of my illness. You told me that I had a threefold phase. And it was when I came to you that I started to learn about its being threefold. The night that I committed suicide, uh, the next morning when I came to, I heard me cry out loud, my God, I can't even kill myself. What do I do? What do I do? And you know that's when you came to me. I heard me cry out loud, you're an alcoholic. That's what all of this has been about. And I stopped drinking back in 60 um, because of a spiritual experience in a hospital. And... I thought there's something to this man upstairs. I couldn't say the word God. And so I didn't drink until, oh, a couple months later. And I picked up a drink one night. And you talk about progression. I never, never, never want to forget how I felt with the guilt and the remorse. It was devastating. I ended up having shock treatments for a month and eventually lost faith in alcohol. And when I came to you through High Watch, which is an A was an only AA only oriented facility up in Kent, Connecticut, and I was there for a week, and I had experience there as all of my spiritual experiences were leading me to what I needed to find, a new God of my understanding. And once I lost my need to define God, I found God. When I first came to AA in the 60s in Connecticut, we didn't have intergroup. We didn't have answering services. In fact, we had a lady, bedridden lady up in Hartford, who had eight telephones around her in her bed, and she was the answering service. Telephones didn't have more than one line in them like we have today. And we used to call her to find out if we could have a meeting, for instance, an anniversary on a given Saturday night, because in those days we had so few meetings, we, could, we didn't want to have any other anniversary. We didn't want to have a meeting in competition to other meetings. Um, in 1966, 1965, well, we, it's when we, um, as Sue was sharing, changed the ratio 
We also had the I Am Responsible dedication in Toronto, and that was my first international, and I cannot believe this is my tenth international convention. Unbelievable. It's only because you shared your God with me so that I could find a God of my understanding. In 66, Ebby died. Now, we had Ebby at High Watch, and uh, it was interesting. Ebby was a, an angry man, and I tried to thank him for what he gave to Bill. And in his gruff voice, he said, don't thank me, pass it on. And that's what we try to do in this fellowship, as you know so well. We do try to pass it on. When I first got sober, some of the ladies I was sponsoring weren't staying sober. And I went to talk to Bill about it. because, And he said, Tommy, do you think I 12-step Dr. Bob so he wouldn't drink? And I said, sure, Bob, Bill. He said, oh, no. I told Seth Dr. Bob so I wouldn't drink. So he said, when you think you're... He said, when you think you know what your pigeons <laughs> need to know, that's only because your own head needs to hear it. And you can't hear what you're thinking. I owe my life to the ladies who have given me the privilege sponsoring them because I listened to me when Abby died and you know when you're there were but 12 of us as Susan said and we went up from the east coast there was Bill and Lois and, and my sponsor and me when you're in the car with your sponsor things happen we are driving from the east coast to Albany and where Abby's funeral was and the fifth step poured out of me that day. And I remember standing with Bill at our arms around each other at Abby's casket. And I said to Bill, because he'd never stopped 12-stepping Abby, and Bill found himself that way. I said, Bill, who is to say if Abby had been given the grace to stay sober that you would have? And he said, Tommy, I've thought of that so often. Um, we knew that there was something going on with just 12 of us at that funeral. 12 steps, 12 traditions, 12 concepts. And on the way home, the third step took me. And it was God saying to me, Tommy, when you wake up in the morning, the day is already born. Your only responsibility is to see where you fit in to the day. And that is what I try to do these days. When I wake up in the morning, two minutes, okay. We had, I want to share two very interesting 12-step calls, 12-step work. We had a lady going from New Haven to Chicago by bus, and she was pretty frightened. We got her bus schedule, we got her world directory and every time she got off a stop there was a cup of coffee at an AA arm waiting for her 
The other 12-step work, Lois had invited us for lunch one day. And we were sitting there having lunch. There was Lois on one end of the table, my sponsor, Hazel, who worked at the office, myself, and then Bill sitting on the right side, and a lady who should remain nameless sitting across from me. In Bill's home, there was a dining room table, then a couch looking into the fireplace, and a coffee table. Bill loved the crowds, but he obviously could not let a sick alcoholic just be there by herself. And he excused himself from the table and went over and sat down with his facing us. We couldn't see her twelve stepping her. To me that is the epitome of my AA experience watching Bill Wilson twelve step a fellow alcoholic. I would like to thank Michelle for giving me this privilege. I would like to close a little prayer. I pray very often, but may I say first, I believe the key to my sobriety is the two words, I believe, and people. And to me, people are like the seeds of a flower. They need the miracle of God and man to make them grow. And to me, that is AA the miracle of God and man. Dear Lord, please help me to accept the kind of life you have chosen for me to live. Make me ever mindful of the needs of others and what you would have me do with my life, that thy will be done. Thank you very much, and I love you. Thank you very much, Tommy D. Love you. And I'm not sure for assisted listening, you can turn one says to channel 90.5, and then the other one says 92.0. So, all right. Our next speaker is sober 60 years, and as of uh, April 15, 2010. Uh, Mel and I have been friends for over 35 years. It's been a long time. He belongs to the Rab Road Group, west of Toledo, Ohio. He is um, uh, he's a writer, and he's loves AA and will tell a lot of history and has done if grapevine articles and different books from time to time and he promised me that he would only sing one song. Thank you very much. Um, Susan, uh, my name is Mel Barger. I'm an alcoholic. And I'm just amazed at this crowd here, uh, the crowd this size. I ought to give my talk on humility. Uh, but uh, I guess I'm supposed to 
kind of cover my story a little bit. And here I am on a program sandwiched between two women. Uh, Tommy, uh, she mentioned that she had known Ebby, who was the man who carried the AA message to Bill Wilson. And uh, I've written some stuff about Ebby for the grapevine and I think for Box 459 and also my own book, but I won't mention that. It's not conference approved. Uh, but uh, we, we are very indebted to Abby just for what he did. Uh, when he died in Albany, New York, or just north of Albany, uh, Tommy attended his funeral. She and Hazel Rice, one of the general secretaries, were, were uh, two of 12 people who attended Abby's funeral. There was a man who really did something that helped all of us, but there were only 12 people at his funeral, and thank you, Tommy. Well, uh, I was told I had only 15 minutes, but they, then I learned that we have 20. And I, I have a song that I like to sing. <laughs> now, by gosh, uh, I'm, a, I'm 84 years old. I'll be 85 in, in September. And, and pe- people that age are not supposed to be able to sing. There's also a lot of other things they can't do. But uh, this song is a tribute to the founders of AA, two men that I love dearly, Dr. Bob and Bill, and it's called Once There Were Founders. Now, I wrote the words, but I kind of stole the tune from a song up in uh, Canada, on Cape Breton Island, I think, but somebody told me that the, the composer wouldn't recognize this song after hearing me sing it. Um, but I, I usually finish with the song, but I'd like to sing it right now. May I? Yeah. Once there were founders, two men we esteem. They had a vision, a sort of a dream. And though they had struggles, they'd never complain. I wish they were with us again. Once there was darkness. No answer was known. Each of us faced a grim future alone. Then came their vision, and new life appeared. Our founders were with us back then. Can you imagine their place in the universe, higher than princes or kings? They opened the gates to a new way of life, and all of the wonder it brings. Once there were founders, we honor them still, a doctor named Bob and a broker named Bill. Dim was the path when their journey began, I wish they were with us again. And over the long years, their stories were told, and lost souls began to return to the fold. All that they told us turned out to be true. Our founders were with us back then. Can you imagine their place in the universe, higher than princes or kings? They opened the gates to a new way of life, and all of the wonder it brings. Once there were founders, both gentle and kind, They gave us this program, it's yours and it's mine. When we came broken, 
They helped us to mend. I wish they were with us again. So remember the gift from the founders we love, with help from our friends and the power above. Each day we have is a journey begun. I feel they're now with us again. Yes, I feel they're now with us again. Well, now I can give my talk without worrying about the damn song. Yeah, <laughs> I also have a limerick. <laughs> kind of. And I wrote this one, too. And we have a lot of Irish people here, you know. Limericks came from Ireland. And uh, oh, this is just a limerick. Oh, okay. Oh, can't I do my limerick? Oh, okay. Uh, see me after the meeting and I'll tell you my limerick. But I'm the one who wrote the uh, limerick about the man from Nantucket. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> Susan mentioned that uh, my sobriety date is April 15, 1950. And uh, I got sober in my hometown, Norfolk, Nebraska. That's where I grew up. And I used to think that all of my problems were that uh, growing up in Nebraska during the Depression and that sort of thing. Uh, in fact, uh, I would tell now I love Nebraska. I'm very proud of having grown up there. But I used to say that if they ever give the world an enema, Nebraska would be a good place to stick the hose. And, uh, uh, but that was my bad thinking. <laughs> now, this is serious business. I... I'm telling my story, uh, but I, I, I went to my first AA meeting in uh, late 1948. Uh, I was, it took me 18 months of road testing, I guess you'd call it, before I established what would be called permanent sobriety. I was living out in the Ventura, California area, and I went to my first meeting in uh, Santa Paula, the church there. Thank you. And uh, the funny thing, the second and third members I met were from Akron, Ohio. They had moved out there. And right from the start, I think I started getting AA history. Uh, these people, they, Dr. Bob and his wife were still living, and they'd talk about some of these people. It was just great uh, that I got this. I didn't know that I would meet uh, some of these people later on. Bill Dotson, who was AA number three, 1952, I spent a Saturday afternoon with him. You know, these people referred to him as the guinea pig, the people I met. And, and by gosh, when I met Bill and I asked him about that term, boy, did his face darken. He didn't like to be called the guinea pig. And I learned that Bill Wilson had given him that title and that I think he had a res resentment against Bill for the rest of his life about that. But anyway, I had had quite a, a sad drinking history. Uh, I had uh, 
I guess I was an alcoholic waiting to happen. I dropped out of high school uh, after a couple of years, wound up. Uh, I, I discovered alcohol when I was 13 or 14 years old, and I knew right away what it would do for me. And I believe today that there's something that happens with most of us when we have that first experience that just should tell us that we're, al- we're alcoholics. I wound up in 1941, late 1941, dropped out of high school, working in an all-night truck stop in western, in western Nebraska. A truck driver and his girlfriend came in with a bottle, and on New Year's Eve in 1941, I got drunk, and this truck driver knocked me into a snowdrift. I was always hitting somebody on the, uh, on the fist with my nose while I was drinking. And I was really a very shy person, but then when a few drinks, and suddenly my personality would change. I think that's one of the signs of alcoholism. You see a person who has this, after just a few drinks, he becomes a different person. Uh, and uh, I think that's just one of the signs. Then I wound up down in Denver working at the Fitzsimmons Hospital, the Army Hospital there, and I could drink in their PX. And uh, even after I got fired there and went in town, I would sneak out there and pretend I was an employee uh, to uh, uh, drink in their PX. And on the way out to California in May or June of 1942, I caught a ride with a guy who had a bottle. And he gave me a couple snorts from his bottle. And he said, kid, you're one of those people who can't drink. And I I don't know whether he was just protecting his supply or he saw something in me. Actually, he was almost passed out by the time we got to Reno. But uh, I spent about a year out there in the Vallejo, California area, which is near the Napa Valley. And that's where I learned about wine. And I heard people, you would see some person who was very goofy, and they'd say he's a wino. And boy, that was bad to be a wino. But, you know, I drank a lot of wine there because it was cheap. And I think that's, uh, you know, they call some people uh, winos. Uh, the only reason they ever drink wine is because it's cheaper. If you find a bunch of winos drinking and you bring in some Chivas Regal, they'll drink that too. Uh, but uh, anyway, then I wound up spending three and a half years in the Navy. And I did a lot of bad things in the Navy, but when I was discharged in November of '46. I had a good conduct medal because none of this stuff was on my record. But later on, I spent a few months in the Army and got kicked out with an undesirable discharge. And that stayed on the record for 16 years. It was finally upgraded to a general discharge. Somebody started feeling sorry for me. And, uh, but uh, I, it's this all things that happen uh, because of alcoholism. I finally got sober, and I had to give up a lot of things in getting sober. One of the things I had to give up was puking. And uh, I had to give up wetting the bed and uh, other things like that, burning holes in my clothes with cigarettes and so on. Incidentally, I, I quit smoking 49 years ago. And I tell people today that I have 60 years of alcohol sobriety. 49 years of cigarette sobriety, and maybe 10 minutes of emotional sobriety. Uh, But outwardly, though, I've lived in Toledo, Ohio for 38 years. 
I was worked in public relations for a large glass company there. And uh, outwardly, I looked like a very solid citizen, you know, and it's all because of AA. I uh, pay my bills on time. I always went to work on time. We belong to a church. I see that my wife gets the grass mowed and things like that. Uh, but uh, most people don't know about that other life I had before 1950, and it was really a pretty sad life. I moved out to Pontiac, Michigan in September of 1950, and AA really has staying power. When I got to Pontiac, one of the first things I did was get in touch with AA, and that's really something I tell people if they move anywhere, get in touch with a group where you move to, because I think some people, when their AA is winding down, if they move, they stop going to meetings in the new place, and that's a bad sign. But there was a man who belonged to that group who had nine years sobriety. And in 1950, boy, that, that was an eternity. Anybody with nine years. His name was Chauncey, Chauncey C. And uh, some of, he was in, in Toronto in 2005 in a wheelchair by then, well into his 90s. But that man stayed sober 65 years. And, you know, I, I met him at the All Saints Episcopal Church in Pontiac, and the last time I saw him, a year or two before he died, it was in that same church, the same meeting and everything else, and they're staying power for you, and I've had friends that I've known in AA for 30, 40, and 50 years. Uh, so this, this program really works. Every now and then you read somebody uh, has got some new idea that's much better in AA, and you hear about it, and then you don't hear about it. And sometimes... You hear the person got drunk or something. You know, it's that way. Uh, how am I doing, Susan? Oh, five minutes. My gosh. Uh, anyway, um, uh, uh, Susan mentioned that I write articles for the great grapevine. Somebody said that I had written more for the grapevine than Bill Wilson, and that's not true. I've, I've had about 60 articles in the grapevine over since 1955. But uh, Bill had an advantage. The editors didn't reject anything he wrote. (laughs) Also, I helped write Bill's biography, which is called Pass It On Now. I wanted to call it Bill W. and His Friends. And I wrote uh, two manuscripts, and then some other writers got into it. And I've had a resentment against them ever since. Uh, Then uh, uh, some of that information, though, I've also used on on other things. Because I love AA. It's been my life all of these years. And I think, I don't think I would be, uh, I I would have gone down the tube many, many years ago. No question about it. Many of the people I used to drink with uh, died a long time ago. They didn't have this program, didn't find it. But I go back to Nebraska uh, now and then. My mother lived until 96, and, and I, I find I still go back there. I went back there, back there a couple of months ago. They had a special thing. And even though many of the people I drank with are gone, some of their sons are now AA members and are very active in AA there and doing well. So I don't uh, say bad things about Nebraska anymore or any, any, any place else for that matter. I want to thank you for listening to my song. You know, I, I sang a, some enchanted evening for an older couple getting married out in an aviation convention. 
And a guy came up afterwards and he said, uh, God, I always wished I could sing. Now I wish you could. <laughs> uh, but, but my problems really go back to Norfolk. When I was in the sixth grade, I wanted to sing, and the teacher told me I couldn't sing. And, and I insisted I could, and I got up in front of the class, and nothing came out. And so it was, I was 38 years old before I could sing in front of a group. And so I think that's progress, and some of it I owe to AA. Well, I have a little more to say. I do have a lot more to say, but we've, we've got Liz coming here. And boy, are you in for a trip here. Uh, so I want to thank you, and uh, I would like to close um, with just one little poem of sorts. A, a, a fearful young man from Nebraska uh, drank amounts that would surely aghast you. He'd take in the old slop and drink till he had dropped and finally fall on his ass cup. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Mel B. You're a pioneer, all right. Um, some chairs intermingle their story in between, but I'm too in awe of this. And so I will now tell you a little bit about the third speaker. I've known her for years and love her very much. And um, she will be celebrating in her home group, the Jones Beach Sunrise Group. She'll be, <laughs> she'll be celebrating 58 years, and when she gets home, July 11, 2010. Um, I don't do a lot of driving anymore because of living in New York, but I rented a car one weekend to go to a convention with Liz. We were both speakers, and um, a couple of times I think I went off the road a little bit, so when she got there, she said, yes, I'm here in one piece. Thank God. <laughs> you remember that? <laughs> I remember. But anyway... Without further ado, I will give you Liz B. Wow! You light up my life. You're the ones that gave me hope when I didn't know there was any hope for me. My name is Liz Bailey, and I'm one of the most grateful alcoholics you ever laid your eyes on. I'm so grateful that I've lived in the day and time of Alcoholics Anonymous, because all my family died from alcohol. I want to congratulate the speakers also. I enjoyed them. And uh, I want to thank the committee for inviting me to this grand affair, and congratulations to AA for 75 years. 
And I say that with deep emotion, because when I arrived at AA, AA was 17 years old. And I've had the privilege of growing with many of you. Many of you have been part of my life. Thank you all for coming and for being here. I love my group, the Sunrise Group. Next Sunday, I will be celebrating on the beach 58 years. I came in at 31, a swinging 31, knowing nothing. Nothing did I know. I heard the word alcohol the first time I walked into AA. I had never heard that word before. I know when I was drinking and you took a glass like that and sipped it for 20 minutes, you got on my nerves. And I got away from you because you had to drink like I drank. I cannot stand up here really and take my 15 minutes, the shortest talk I ever made in AA, I'll tell you the truth. <laughs> Okay. Oh, thank you, Susan. <laughs> She's added five minutes to me. <laughs> but uh, because I didn't even realize it when I came in how sick I was. And like I said, I had never heard the word alcoholism. I got to tell you about my first drink and my last drink and how I came to AA. My first drink, I was 12 years old. A stone alcoholic at 12 years old. I don't know anything about social drinking. I told you, whenever you drank and sipped for an hour, you got on my nerves. But, you see, my mom made rice wine. I've never seen my mom take a drink in my entire life. And for many years of AA, I was wishing I could give her two drinks and bring her in here. Because she could have used the whole 12 steps and 12 traditions and the concepts. The whole thing. My mom passed away three days short of 95, so she had a good life. My last drink, I'm drinking with hard two-fist drinkers in the VFW Hall on 110th and Merrick Road. There was a lady coming to visit to sell some insurance for the house. I never called this a home. There was no love there. I had every material thing any woman would want. Never got me sober, never kept me sober. And drinking with these people in the VFW hall, I got a phone call. I heard the guy's voice and I banged it up. I remember he called back the second time. I said, oh, don't bug me. I'm expecting company. And I haven't seen this lady since I'm eight years old. And I banged up the phone the second time. I remember going around the corner to the store, and I came back. He was on the phone for the third time. He said, do me a favor, Liz, hop a cab, I'll introduce you to the people, I'll put you back in the cab, and I'll send you home to your company. I figured, let me do that, because he's going to drive me up a wall today. And I did. And I got over to the post, and the bulls started lining up, and the jukebox is going, and I'm singing, you always hurt the one you love 
The one you don't want to hurt at all. Give me another drink. Give me another drink. Smile if you're happy. Give me another drink. Well, next month I'll be 89 years old. Yeah. And I haven't seen Miss Lindbaum till yet. I don't know if the woman is living or dead. I don't remember what she looked like. But when I woke up, and don't ask me how did I get in my son's twin bed, but I got into that twin bed somehow, and I looked up, and there stood my mom over here with her head just shaking. And my mom was screaming to the rooftop, somebody done done something to her. Somebody done done something to her. And then I looked over here and I saw Mr. Bailey. His head's shaking. And he's saying, oh, no, mom, no, mom, no, mom, nobody's done anything to her. She happens to be a very sick girl. Well, I had never heard that before. You know what my name was. Every one of you know what that was. I, I was the biggest one that there was. B, you know that. See, I've had to clean up my acts. I'll tell you the truth. I have had to do a lot of work on me coming into AA. Ooh, Lord, did I work on me. I'm still working on me. So what happened is that when Mr. Bailey called me a sick girl, something went all over my body. I still can't explain it. But I got up out of that bed and I went to the basement of the house. That was my last drink. And my oldest son was 12 years old. In May, he made 70. My oldest son is 70. And now what happened is that I'm looking at him because I went in the basement and I stayed in the basement two days praying to die. I wanted out. I wanted out. I want it out. And I'm looking at him, telling him that. I said, I'm going to go up on the Long Island Railroad. I live three blocks from the railroad. I'm going to jump in front of a train, and I'm going to end it all. Susan, hand me that water. I've been doing an awful lot of talking here lately. Some of you groups out there have heard me recently. It's the same story warmed over, honey. Instead, I was using the third step and didn't know it, because I hadn't arrived at AA yet. But in that basement on the second day, screaming out to God, Oh God, oh God, please help me. And something came to me as clear as I'm talking to you, because Mr. Bailey had told me about AA. He told me I was the nicest wife when I was sober, but drunk I was a Jekyll and a Hyde. And what did he do? He told me to go to AA. I'm not going to go into the flowery words, what I said to him. But I think every one of you know what I told him to do with AA. I didn't want to hear no AA. To each his own. I'm drinking this stuff and you don't want for nothing. The man was smart. He walked away from me and he never, never mentioned AA again. 
And that's one thing I love about Alcoholics Anonymous. We do not beat AA into you. We attract AA to you. Because if Mr. Billy had to beat AA into me, I wouldn't be sure standing here tonight, today. Uh-uh, I wouldn't be here today. Because that's in my nature. You don't beat me with nothing. That's my nature. So I'm very grateful. And I drank another eight to ten months after he planted the seed. I call myself a seed planter in AA. Of course now, eight to ten months after that last drink, and I'm crying out to God, talking to my son, I took the telephone book down off the cabinet. At that time of AA, they sent people out to you two by two. Never, never go alone. And so I dialed AA in Manhattan, because I live in Queens. And they didn't have anyone to send me. Now, I got myself together, and I went into Manhattan to integral. And I tried to get up the flight of stairs. And I, I started, in the middle of the landing, I started to turn around. And thank God the lady looked down the stairs at me and she says, are you having a hard time? I said, yes, ma'am. And at that time I could run. So I ran up the stairs to her. Now my mother, all my life, told me that you don't go out and tell people about yourself. Don't talk about the fights in your home, the black eyes, the busted mouths. Nothing that goes on in that house, you keep it in the house. But here sits a woman telling me all about herself. I got chills, goose pimples, I started to fall off the chair. I had never heard anybody talk about themselves. And she was hitting me between the eyes. And she turns to me and she says, you know, Liz, it's the first drink. I said, come on, sweetie, I've been drinking for 19 years. From 12 to 31 downhill. I never was Jack and Jill and went up the hill. I went down the hill. I went down into the valley. Oh, yeah. Always, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I wore it out. Always full of guilt and remorse. Always. Many, many people pull me up on the carpet. Why do you drink the way you do? Why do you act the way you do? Oh, I could rattle off excuses a mile a minute. And my main excuse was loneliness. All my life, I have been looking for someone or somebody to love me, to be with me. That's why I scream out to you. Without you, there would be no me. I know that. I know it very strong. And I don't take your love for granted either. I wallow in your love. I wallow in it. Because I know I need it. I need it. And so what happens? She gave me the choice of two meetings to go to. And I chose South Jamaica. It was South Jamaica interracial at that time. 
And I went to my first meeting. And two girls looked up at me behind the coffee counter and said to me, I'm only mimicking them, you don't look like an alcoholic. I don't know what no alcoholic looks like. I don't even, never heard the word, like I told you. Nobody talked about alcoholism or alcohol to me. All I heard when I got here, what are we drinking and what are we chipping in for? That's all I knew. What are we drinking and what am I chip, we chipping in for? And I'm watching me. And we, when I came to AA, they always kept two people at the door. Because once you got inside that AA room, you did not get out. They did not let you out. It wasn't this in and out that you're doing today. Oh, no. Mm-mm. They sat on you. Yes. Yes. And that was July the 11th, 1952, and I haven't been anywhere since. Because when he hit, and I don't plan to go anywhere. I don't mind myself to go back out there. Mm-mm. Mind set yourself to stay. I stopped some of the groups from saying keep coming back because you don't know what that means. I tell you, come in here and stay. If you want to see the powerful example, you're seeing it at this international convention. Look around this room. Where in the world have you ever seen this many drunks get together at one time? Mm-mm. And thank God you're sober, because it would be, oh my God. Oh, I wouldn't want to be in this circus at all. I'm so glad you're sober. I'm grateful for your sobriety. I clap your sobriety all the time. All the time I clap it. I have been privileged to watch AA grow. It's been fantastic. I didn't like some of the changes, but I have to accept things that I can't change. But I know who's in charge. Took me a while to learn it. Took me a while to learn it. And when this man caught me running out the door, he hit me on my shoulder. He says to me, what you going? Where are you going? Where are you going? What are you doing here? I said, I'm about to lose my mind, my home, my children, everything through drinking. He said, have a seat, sweetie. You're in the right place. <laughs> July the 11th, 1952. And I have not, to this present moment, been a day, not a day, without one of you in my life. Isn't that something for me to say? Isn't that something for me to say? And I love that third step. It says, relieve me of bondage of self, that I may do thy will. Took me five years to get to that in AA. I didn't want to hear about a God when I got in AA. I wanted life on my terms. And as long as I wanted life on my terms, I stayed sick. S-I-C-K. I had migraine headaches the first five years. 
isolation the first five years. I cried, literally cried for five years. I also went to seven meetings a week and three times on Sunday. I did not leave AA. And I'm grateful that AA taught me not to get sober for anyone but for myself. I didn't understand it, but I know I didn't want to drink. If I had to stay sober for my mother, I'd have been drunk, drunk, drunk. It took my mom many years of my sobriety for her to tell me one day, stay with them A's, whatever they are. And I didn't plan to leave these A's. Mr. Bailey could never stand me in AA. He worked ten years to get me back in the street. I came from the street in here. And I had the honor and privilege of speaking for our late co-founder, Bill Wilson. I spoke for Bill Wilson's 28th anniversary to 2,700 people that night. All the dignitaries, Dr. Silkworth, everybody was on the dais. I invited Mr. Bailey to sit up there with me. He told me to get myself another husband for that night. For my girlfriend said, you going to ask him again? I said, no, because I'm the speaker. I didn't ask him again. And he showed up at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And you guys lined the quarter of Commodore Hotel thanking him for me. He couldn't handle that girls and boys. He couldn't handle it. He came back to the house and he banged every pot on the stove and screamed that he had to get rid of me. You didn't tell me to stay sober for Mr. Bailey. You didn't tell me to stay sober for my mother. And at 3 o'clock in the morning... I sat still and listened to God. Help me, God. I've been ten years trying to make it. And I'm getting to the end. And my higher power, which I love AA, AA says, find your own higher power and find it now. Not next week, next month. Because it's not really done without your higher power. And my higher power told me, if I pick up one drink, I don't have Liz. If I pick up one drink, I don't have Mr. Bailey. And when I pick up one drink, I'm not in that house. I'm waking up someplace that I don't even know half the time. And when I woke up on Liberty Park bench in Jamaica, I said, oh, something wrong with this picture. I said, here I got a brand new bedroom set, new home, new everything, and I'm on the bench. I'm waking up in basements behind the barbershop. All kinds of crazy places. And he said, you better leave. So I left Mr. Bailey. And he met me in the street one day. He said, you know, you're not going to live without me. I said, oh, we'll see. I lived 24 years without Mr. Bailey. And I went back after 24 years when he took sick. And when you stay sober here, more will be revealed to you. And it dawned on me that I was not a good wife. I was not a good mother. I was not a good person when I'm drinking. 
And, I, and again, I went back and took care of Mr. Bailey, and that helped me make my amends. And he told me on the deathbed, he said, take my hand. He says, I want to thank you, Liz, for saving my life. And he said, Liz, I love you. And I screamed because I had been married to Mr. Bailey 47 years. And I had never got, I love you, but I got it before he cashed out of here, I'll tell you that. Now that oldest son, who was 12 years old, at the time, I told him I was going to take my life, has taken 54 and a half years of my sobriety to hate me. And he let me know he would never forgive me or forget me for my past. But see, isn't it wonderful you told me to stay sober for me? Stay sober for Liz. And a little over two years ago, I got a phone call. Who am I speaking to? He said, your son. I said, which one? He said, how many sons have you got? I said, in AA, I got a plenty of them. There goes some of them back there even. Yeah, look at that raising their hand. They know who they are. Yeah, they know. They, they all know who they're my sons. He said, no, I'm your biological son. I'm calling to make restitution to you. And I said, and I'm accepting it because I've always loved you. Well, girls, he sent me a $1,600 first-class ticket to San Francisco, Los Angeles, I think it was, to spend five days with him. I get off the plane, and I take $2 out of my pocketbook because I'm going to give a guy that come up, whoever come up near me, $2 to pull my baggage off the, the thing. Honey, this guy comes up, and I hand him $2, and he says to me, I'm looking for my mother. I don't know who his mother is. <laughs> and then I took a second look, and I saw his dad all up here. I said, I'm your mother, and give me back my $2. Well, I'm going to tell you, I had a ball with my son. I did not bring up the past. I didn't go there for that. Fifty-some years, no, that's ridiculous to bring it up. Okay, one minute. Okay, Susan, I'm glad you guided me. That's why I like the Atlantic group. They got a, ah, yeah, I love my groups all over, all over. And, and St. Albans. I opened up four groups in AA. St. Albans, Spruce Group, um, what's the other one? St. Albans, Spruce, um, South Jamaica. I reopened that. And there's another one I opened up. Today Group. I opened up the ICANN Club. Because I'm going to tell you something. I, I didn't come into AA to die. I'm a, I don't know about you. I come in here and do the slide and do the bumpy bump. Yeah. But I'm having a hard time getting old. <laughs> I have to tell you, 
I like what Barbara says to me all the time. She said, that beats the eternity, you know. She's right, that be- it beats me dying, which is true. But Ron and my group, Sunrise Group, I love you. I'm looking forward to being with you next Sunday. I hope I make it one day at a time. And right now I'm going to close with telling you all, I live in the moment. Woo! Thank you. fantastic. All three of you. Thank you very much. Well, I would like to ask, are there any other pioneers in the audience uh, with many, many years that would like to say something up here at the microphone? have uh, one speaker and then we will close the meeting and um, uh, okay a few minutes each Ron okay. Okay. <clears throat> my name Ron and I'm an alcoholic and needless to say I guess I've well I'm, I'm 48 years in the program I come in And um, Liz has been a friend of mine for years and years. You know, she's such a power of example. I don't know how many times I've heard her. And, and uh, you know, you can't help but love Liz, you know. Um, it got to the point when she celebrated her anniversaries. Uh, there wasn't enough room for him in any of the places. So she asked me if, if we would mind if she celebrated her 40th anniversary at Jones Beach. You know, and needless to say, Jones Beach is a room just spreads out, you know. And Liz celebrated her first anniversary there, and there must have been probably 1,500 people there. You never saw anything like it, you know. And as as time went on, needless to say, uh, we've enjoyed having her. I don't think as long as she's been celebrating, which is, what, 15, 16 years now, um, I don't think we ever had rain when she was speaking. It's amazing, but it seems she's got a direct line with God. You know. But anyway, uh, you know, AA, we've watched the changes in AA. And uh, I don't have, I can't get into it because it's over for me right now. But I can only say this. Uh, the changes are wonderful. The people that used to, we used to pick up out of the gutters and put in Pilgrim State or Central Islet Hospital. Uh, today, it's changed. A higher class of people are coming in because they get here before they have to deal uh, with the kind of stuff that the old timers used to have to deal with. 
Anyway, uh, thanks, and I'll see you tonight. My name is George. I'm an alcoholic. And she said, I have two minutes, and I'll do it. <laughs> I'm not a pioneer, but I had my last drink on May the 14th, 1975, and that's 35 continuous years of sobriety. I was born into Alcoholics Anonymous. My parents were in the program in the very early days, in the days that these folks were speaking about. And uh, my, my father went and spoke, and my mother spoke everywhere, and they never made it. Their life ended with one another taking one another's life in a drunken rage the day that, the weekend that John F. Kennedy was assassinated. My father started beating my mother because he wanted to go and take another drink. He wanted to go back to the bar. And my mother, to defend herself, picked up a scissor and took my father's life. And she died that day, too. And so they didn't get this. They didn't get what we have. But what they did was give me the seeds of recovery. Because I saw what alcoholism could do. Alcoholism, alcohol, drugs, drug addiction kill love. Where love, where alcohol abides, love cannot abide. Where drug addiction abides, love cannot abide. If you're new here and you're wondering and you're puzzled and you're frightened, please stay with us. We need you as much as you need us. Please stay with us because there'll be a whole new life that's open to you. Thank you. There are wonderful tools for us in Alcoholics Anonymous. Some of my longest sponsees are in the audience today with almost 40 years. And um, I have sponsees down to one year sober. And um, it is a fabulous, fabulous program. In order to keep it, you have to give it away. And you know... If you don't drink and you don't die, you too will become a pioneer in Alcoholics Anonymous. <laughs> I am so thrilled to have had this opportunity to chair the meeting where Tommy and Liz and Mel spoke. Thank you for your...